Well, we've been on a little journey here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Moses said, Moses is leaving. It's been um, uh, several decades he's led the children of Israel, and he's, he's parting. He has a very lengthy parting speech in Deuteronomy, and we discover there's a theme that flows to it. Uh, Moses says, uh, remember not to forget. And then a little later, Moses says, don't forget to remember. And then a little later, he says, remember to remember. And he's challenging the people of Israel, remember all these wonderful things that I've done for you. Remember all the blessings. Remember all the breakthroughs. Remember my goodness. Remember my kindness. Remember all this. Remember, remember, remember. Because as I said earlier, when we don't remember, we just rehash the anxiety and fear and worry. And then something else comes and we're worried and fearful and something else comes. I'm talking to me too. I mean, we've all done that. And we need to just remember to remember. So all God's goodness to us. And then we saw last week that I can't stay here. Now, that makes sense to those who we would say, well, your life's horrible and it's not good. And you, of course, you don't want to stay there. But it's not, it's for anybody. It's for anyone. It says this, it says you can't stay here. I don't care if you're on top of the mountain. I don't care if everything's perfect. I don't care if everything's beautiful. You can't stay here. There's more of God to grow in. There's more of him to know. I read an article one time. Uh, it said, uh, I wish we quit saying, you know, we, we need more of Jesus. Uh, do you think you just got a little piece of him when you got born again and saved? You can't get more of Jesus. And I said, but the Bible says, the Bible says that we're challenged to be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ. So if we already had all the measure of the fullness of Christ, then why would we be challenged to be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ so we can keep growing in the things of God all of our lives? And so we're, we're challenged to not stay put. There's always growth. Even if you're on top of the mountain, there's still growth, growth, growth. Is there anybody here who really believes that they have, you know, dug into the deepest depths of God? I don't think so. You read some of these people with these amazing ministries who for 50 years have done all these incredible things for God. And they write in their diaries as they're, as they're dying, you know, I've merely scratched the surface of knowing God. You go, really? And you have to say, yeah, really. He's so vast that there's always more growing to do. On September 1st, 1987, September 1st, 1987, uh, Darlene and I were leaving what was then called Bartholomew County Hospital. She had been in the hospital for a five-day stay, and um, it was one of those good things because we were taking home with us that day an extra McIntyre uh, in the family. Sean McIntyre had been born on August 28th, which will be next Sunday is his birthday, and uh, we're, we're taking him and we're putting him in the car. Remember this little gray Honda Prelude, barely, everything barely fit in there, the flowers, the balloons, the gifts, all that, and the baby. Can't forget the baby. In fact, I see something. This is crazy. This is just a little side note. I'm seeing this on the news the other day, and, and it's heartbreaking to me that every year, seriously, people leave babies in cars and they suffocate to death. And, and just, oh my gosh, I mean, I, I hear that. I don't want to hear a pet that does that, let alone your baby. And so they were giving a, a very serious, they're given a, an idea how to keep that from happening. And they said, put something important in the back seat with your baby. And I'm thinking, isn't the baby important enough to remember? But it's like, put your purse back there so you won't forget your baby's back there. Well, I think the baby's pretty important. So just remember, everyone, make sure you keep your eye on your baby. So we got this baby, we're putting him in the car, and... I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, I joke so much that it's bad when your line is, I'm not joking this time, I'm not kidding this time. But I look at Darlene and I say, they're just, I'm totally serious, eyes bugged out, tense. I say, 
they're just going to let us walk out the door with this baby. And she said, yeah. I said, we don't know nothing about raising a baby. I said, why in the, why in the, how are they trusting us just to take this precious little thing home? And so I'm, she was totally fine with it. But maybe that's because she was a fa- from a family of 15. But I was thinking, this is, this is crazy. And so we're driving home. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I was driving two miles an hour to make sure I got that baby home safe. I don't really remember the ride home. But it's, it's an overwhelming situation. I mean, I'm in the driver's seat on that one. But it's still overwhelming. But it gets a little overwhelming when 16 years later, you reach over and you hand that young man some car keys and you say, get in the car. And you just want to say, I'll just stay in the driver's seat, okay? I'll drive you around wherever you want to go. But all of a sudden, they are taking the keys. They're driving the car. That's kind of a big deal, too, because there's something about it when we, when we aren't in control. You know, we're not in control anymore, and we're given you know, the keys to a 16-year-old rookie driver, and it can be overwhelming. But I discovered this, and it's not true of a 16-year-old rookie driver, but it is true of God. When we relinquish control to God, we're giving control to someone who does everything excellently and flawlessly and amazingly. We're giving control to God, somebody who's worthy of control. We're We're giving our lives to somebody who actually is the creator of life. He knows how to do life. And so I want to encourage you. I mean, it may feel like that. I'm not in control. We're not really doing that good a job without him anyway. So we might as well just say, here, here's my life. You know, you take control. Tomorrow evening, I'll get on a huge jet, and I will walk by the cockpit, and if the door is open, I'll look in, see what's going on, and I'll head back to a seat. And I'll feel totally comfortable that whoever's in charge in that cockpit is totally able to control that plane. Now, here's a little side note you may not know about me. My father and brothers were all pilots. Little single-engine planes, Cessna 152, 177 Cardinal, 140, ultralight, that kind of stuff. Not jets. Laura's daughter flies a jet. For, is it for FedEx? Uh, <coughs> rewind the tape. She flies for UPS. Man, I can't believe I said that. UPS. She's a military pilot, if I remember right, for, for years, and then as a pilot. Well, you know, I would be comfortable seeing her in the cockpit, but I actually had a buddy who had a little one Cessna 152, and he was taking flight lessons. He had just about finished all of his training, and he was ready to take his written exam. And so he said, brother, I said, why don't you get some training too, and I'll, you can use my plane, I'll fill it up. I'm liking how it sounded so far. He said, all you have to do is pay the instructor, and I said, cheapskate. And, uh, no, just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, I paid the instructor, used his plane, his fuel. I got about seven hours of flight time. We went and passed our test. Both of us passed the test. I, the test no longer is valid. Only good for a couple of years. You've got to finish everything else. But I got sidetracked in life and didn't finish everything else. But I'm totally comfortable of not stepping into that cockpit and saying, y'all know what you're doing? Because, I mean, I, for one, am a, you know, I passed a flight test when I was 20. I got seven hours in an airplane. If you need any help, I mean, if anything goes south here, just give me a call. I would not be comfortable with that at all. I'm fairly confident that if I was in a little single-engine plane and flying with you and you passed out with a little, you know, update from the tower, I could land us, not pretty, but probably safely. I would do my very best to make sure if we did crash, it'd be on your side, and so I would I'd want to be careful with that. And, but I can relinquish control because I know I'm no good at that. And these pilots are really, really good at it. 
So we need to relinquish control to the Lord. But when we think about remembering to remember, and we get convinced that we can't stay here, it begs another question. The question is, where are we going? Well, if we can't stay here, that's one thing, but where are we going? And I think we have to deal with this on multiple levels. First of all, I believe that all of us individually need to know where we're going. And spiritually speaking, obviously, the big thing is, is that Jesus is Lord of your life, that you, your life has been committed and submitted to him. And there's all kinds of stuff that people want to talk about. Jesus said, here's the work that God requires to believe in the one he has sent. And so we put our faith in Christ. <clears throat> but if all, and then there's lots of stuff that spirals out from that. But it's not just about us individually, because none of us live life in a vacuum. None of us live life on an island. You know, we, we have all kinds of life that goes on around us. So we have family and friends and work and school and play and community and church life and, and neighborhood and all that. So how, how does that work? Where are we going in my broader area of life? Where are we going in, in the broader area of life? And then also to remember where we're going as a church family. I mean, just shy of 50 years ago, Crossroads came into existence with the hope of reaching even more people. They never had, we never had the concept, we're the only ones around. There's so many wonderful ministries and churches in our region, but we wanted to be one of those houses of worship that continue to reach people and disciple people in the things of God. And so that was the heart and soul of the church. And the most critical thing a church can do in this new season, I do really believe it's a new season, and, and there always are new seasons, so don't ever think... We're, in, we're, we're going through something the church has never gone before. It's always been new seasons. But all the COVID stuff, all the political stuff, all the financial stuff, everything goes on around the world. And I want to say this. I'm totally for us being concerned citizens and doing what we're supposed to do. But I really mean this. Jesus is Lord. And, and we have to, you know, just submit our, our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus. And we have to just keep growing in that walk with God. But in this new season, with all the stuff that's going on, there'll be another new season. Should Jesus tarry, there'll be another new season down the road. And there'll be somebody 15 years from now saying, we're in a new season. And they're probably right. Probably is a new season. Uh, but God's not new at this. He knows how to handle it. We just need to be his people. I think the most important thing for us to do as a church, and not just as Crossroads, but as a church globally, the body of Christ, is the church has to keep being the church. We've got to keep being the church. We've got to keep bringing the good news, the salvation of Jesus, to a hurting and dying and broken world around us. But when you say the church ought to keep being the church, it sounds real spiritual and real biblical, but, you know, I'm the type of person who always says, what's that mean? The church has to keep being the church. So we want to figure out, what does that mean? What is the church? How's all this supposed to work? Well, let's look at this in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the what? For the church. Now he's going to define the church. The church is, the bot, is his body, Jesus' body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. And I want to say, that's a beautiful verse, beautiful couple verses. But you can still get to the end of that and say, but what's that mean? Well, then we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And it says, now, don't miss that word now, now, and don't miss the next word, you. Now you are a part of the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So now we've leaped a little further. Jesus is, the church is the body of Christ, the body of Jesus. We are part of that body. And, but we can still say, well, what's that mean? 
Well, we can learn what it means by looking at Jesus. In the New Testament, it starts out with four books that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you will read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find Jesus. You'll find Jesus doing life. Guess what? Jesus in a physical body. Now, I want to back up and tell you this. Now, I am so sorry. I know it's a little teachy today, and, and I just want to make sure some of your eyes don't glaze over. Uh, so just stay with me here. It's all got meaning. I, I, I'm really serious about this. Please don't do this because it, it really shows me where you're at. Uh, I'll be teaching sometimes, and I'll look up, and I'll just watch somebody looking at the ceiling fan. And I realize that right there must be more interesting than what's coming out here. So I want to, you know, just... You know, fool me. Make your eyes big or something, you know. Don't, but don't look at the fan. Okay. So, we are his body. So, we, we watch Jesus, and if we went to the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word. Capital W. This is, this is someone's name. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, if it was a mystery, first time we ever read the Bible, we say, who's this word person? This word person is God. Then we fast forward 14 verses and we find, and the word became flesh, clothed himself in a human body, and dwelt among us. He was named Jesus. In Hebrew, it would be Joshua. It means God saves. And so then we start watching Jesus. You can get a whole theology just by watching Jesus. Just watch Jesus. How does he act? What's he do? What's important to him? What's a priority? How does he love people? How does he treat people? How does he forgive people? How does he, how does he do all that he does? He heals and touches and blesses. And also, don't be fooled. Watch Jesus. He's not afraid to be firm. He's not afraid to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He's not afraid to call you out if you're being a hypocrite. You know, we say Jesus was so gentle. Well, not to some of those Pharisees. He wasn't. It's not real gentle when you say, you're of your father the devil. That was tender, you know, that was, that was nice. You're, you're like whitewashed tombs, you're full of dead men's bones. You know, he would tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But when we start looking at Jesus, we say, okay, here's how Jesus in his physical body behaved and interacted and how he lived and what he thought and what he prioritized and what he taught. And we start watching him through life, and then we say, that's how his body worked on planet Earth. And now, guess what? We are his body. So now we say, okay, so you're telling me that I need to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus, forgive like Jesus. You're getting it. Yeah, absolutely. You say, well, I don't know if we can do that. Well, we can only do it with the help of God. I can tell you that. So you watch the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you watch these new Christians in the book of Acts, and they go out and they say, we're going to be like Jesus. And they don't always do it so well. You know, there's some bumps in the road, and there's some arguments, and there's some, you know, trouble, and there's, there's stuff that happens. But they're doing their level best to, hey, by the help of God, we're going to be like the Lord. We're going to be like Jesus. And that's our goal, is to be like Jesus. You say, well, I may not do it that well. We'll just keep doing. You know what I find? I find this word all throughout the Bible, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Just practice being like Jesus. Everything you've developed, any skill at at all, you had to practice. And you weren't so good when you started. But down the road, you got some ability and got seasoned in it. So here, we're the body of Christ, the church. Now, I, I want a little side note here. If you share your faith and invite people to the house of God, I'll tell you some things you'll run into eventually. I've run into this more than a few times. People will say things like this. Well, Tracy, I, I don't go to church because 
the church, and they'll address a building like this. That's not the church. The body of Christ is the church. I don't go to church. I am the church. There's partial truth to that. So their model is kind of don't go to church, just be the church. Well, I would adjust the motto a little. I would adjust the motto like this. Don't just go to church. Be the church. Don't just go to church. I mean, we don't want to just come here just to hear some stuff and then go live like the world or like the devil. We want to grow and change and develop and grow in the things of God. But the church is very important in the Bible. You can't find anything. The church as the church has two folds to it. It has an organizational side of it, and we'll see that. And then it has the organic living side of it that goes out there in the workplace, in the marketplace, in school, and everywhere. And that's the living, breathing body of Christ touching people's lives. And that's what we're called to be. It's such a great, I'm telling you, it's the greatest enterprise on planet Earth. It's the, it's the most exciting thing you could ever do, ever be, as a believer, saying, I'm going to make a difference in the world around us. I want to see for those who would say, I don't think that's important. Well, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. That's the one-two punch of the believer. Love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. The, this, we could say it like this. We need to strategize. We need to strategize some strategies to help each other love more and love better and do good things. And it says... Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. So you may say, boy, you know, in 21st century, people just, they're getting out of the habit of going to church. Well, apparently they were out of the habit all the way back here in Hebrews chapter 10. Some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So think about this. We got these strategies, these ideas that we can share with one another. And we can encourage one another to, to love and to do good deeds. But then we decide not to come together. Well, if we don't come together, this whole plan, this whole strategy falls apart. That's why it says don't forsake getting together. Now, here's a popular one if you invite people to church. I hear this every now and then. You invite someone to church, and I love this one because this is one of those things that sounds real educated and real deep, and, and so most people just say, I don't even know what to say to that. That's, that was so good. So you invite someone to church, and they say, you know what, I, I'm just not into organized religion. Well, no one's ever challenged with that because it sounds real deep and smart and thoughtful and not into organized religion. So my silly sense of humor just always wants to say, well, why don't you come to our place? We're not organized at all. And so, of course, that's not what they're meaning. And truth is, we are very organized here, but that's trying to penetrate that idea. But I want you to notice, Jesus was into organized religion. He was in the temple. He did all kinds of things. And you know what it says in the book of Acts when these people launched the church? It says they were daily in the temple and from house to house. Wow, they weren't getting enough church. They were daily in the temple and from house to house. And when you look at the New Testament, think about this. Let's just be thinking people. Does God care about the assembly, the body of believers coming together? Absolutely he does. If you, all these things, the, the big old English word for it's epistles, which just means letters in your New Testament, these little books in the back of your New Testament, they were written by like Peter and John and James and Paul, and they wrote these things, and guess what? They were written to the church. They were written to churches in different places. Now, Peter, James, and John's, their books bear their name, but Paul's always bears the name of the city he's writing to, and what he's writing to, he's not writing to the city at large, he's writing to the church that's in that city. 
So his book will be named Romans or Philippians because he's writing to the people of Philippi or in Ephesus or wherever. And guess what? He believes they're going to faithfully gather. And he's written a letter so it can be read to all who have faithfully gathered. Think about this. People say, I don't think we need to faithfully gather. Okay, well then, they would have said, we got a, a fresh letter from Paul. And he wants the church at Corinth to hear this. And they start to read it and they look up and there's like three people there. They go, well, this isn't going to help much. It's going to help me and the three people who are here, but this is supposed to be for the church. So the whole concept that I don't believe in organized religion, you know, I'd ask them sometimes, what do you mean by that? And what, did, what, what do we see in Scripture? Do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe in Scripture? We should get together. I, I get it, this building's not the church. Should, should a wind come through and blow this thing down, we could still meet next week and we would still be the church. We would still be even this local assembly crossroads, whether we're meeting in Scipio Gymnasium or in a, a field somewhere or wherever, we'd still be the church. So God's into the church. The church is his body who fills everything in every way. Now, most of the time we think of being the church. Again, hang in here with me. Most of the time we think about being the church, we think of church programs. We just need more programs. And the more programs we have, the better we are as a church, which is not always true. And I was reading an article, I should have got the guy's name so I could give him credit for it, but he was talking about how to have a healthy church, and he scratched out something on a paper, and I said, man, I so agree with that, and I was going to put that on the overhead, but the, the, um, the scratching was not so good, so I reworked his graphic a little bit. And I want to look at this, it's, it's the graphic of programs versus path. So he talked about this programs versus path. Now I want you to know, there's nothing wrong with programs, Please hear me say this. There's nothing wrong with programs. This isn't anti-programs and pro-path because I think the path is the most important, but then there are programs that help accommodate the path. And so if you look up here on your left, there's all kinds of things in there, and I don't know if you can read them from where you're at, but I can tell you everything in there is good. Everything in there is fine. Not a thing wrong with anything in there. And I bet if we, just after church, all of us got together and talked, we'd come up with 25, 50 good godly, wholesome, wonderful things that we could do as a church. So you can have plenty of things. But here, the path is we become people of worship, we become people of service, we learn how to develop relationships and fellowships, the fancy Greek word for it is koinonia, fellowship. And so we have groups, and then we invest in the church for our time, talent, and treasure. We invest, in, and that's the path. But a lot of these programs will help accomplish that path. So programs are not a problem if, please hear me this, if... If, if there are the people power and the ability in the people to do them. Because what happens is a lot of times a smaller church will say, we need all these programs. Remember me telling you earlier, said it's a Wednesday night service. We normally had eight people. One night we had four, and you heard that story. So one night there's like eight or ten of us together, and they said, you know what we need to do? Somebody said, we need to launch small groups. And I said, we are a small group. I said, I don't know what you're going to launch. I guess we could all break up in twos. We could have, we got four small groups of two people or eight small groups of one person. We are a small group. So you always think, well, we'll do all these wonderful things. I think things are wonderful. Small groups are incredible, but you got to have the people power and the people to make that thing happen. I had a person come to me many years ago and they said, hey, would you do something? Would, would you see if we could launch a Friday night service? And I said, why? And they said, well, because you know, and back then, I mean, we were doing Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You remember those days? You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so they wanted to put in a Friday. So I said, let me ask you this question. 
if we do a Friday night service, will you come to every one? And they said, well, I don't know I'd come to all of them, but every now and then I'm just a little dry on the fourth Sunday, and I just want to, you know, have a service, and if we could have one, that'd be available to me. But I won't be there all the time, but I'll be there when I need it. So I said, okay, now this is the problem. I want to give you a heads up. I knew this person really well. You think, I'd like to know the pastor well. Well, the more you know me, the more I can just be real frank to you. So I said, okay, so let me get this straight. You want a custodial crew to come in and clean the place. You want to make sure everything looks great. You want to make sure the worship team's ready to go and that a sermon is prepared, and that there's a nursery and children's ministry going on, that the climate control is all done in the church, and all that is done for the half a dozen times a year, you might want a Friday night service. I said, that's a lot. Or you're asking 20, 30 people to engage like that to provide something for you that you might come to on occasion. So, and some people do that. They say, well, let's do it. Let's do it. And then you say, wow, we just wore out 30 people, and the person who wanted it so bad came twice this year. So it all is important. Do you have the people power to make it happen? And is it taking you down the path that you want to go in growth? Okay, we're going to look at Ephesians 6. Now, I know I'm, man, you guys are the best. We're going to, we're going to look at six whole verses here. I know we're digging deep, but hang with me here. These are the last six verses we're going to read until we just say the dismissing verse. Please note, it's not the last six things I'm going to say. It's just the last six verses that we're going to read. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church. So these came from Jesus. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up here because I wasn't raised in this world so I'd be around church sometime, and they'd say, man, you know, I just think we really need to, to launch the five-fold ministry. And I couldn't even amen it because I didn't even know what the five-fold ministry was. So, I, so uh, for those of you who don't know, it comes from these five different gifts that Jesus gave the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. So if you're ever in a church where they say, hey, we want to launch the five-fold ministry, which I'm familiar with that concept now, you go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And you will know what they're talking about. So just trying to help you look good there. So now, these are the gifts. Prophet, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Now, here's their job. Here's the job of these five gifts that God gives the church. In fact, the thought just came across my mind here. I just want you to know. I, I make mistakes. I do wrong things. I probably hurt all of you on some occasion or another. Um, I just, it's a gift I have. I, I just... My brother calls me up one time, he's been struggling with a health issue. I said, man, you know, he'd been to the doctor multiple times. And I said, man, I said, have you heard anything from the doctor? Do I need to prepare a funeral service? And he said, well, I have esophagus cancer. Okay, well, see, I got that knack, you know, for, and I said, I am so sorry. He said, I would expect absolutely nothing different out of you than that. So, uh, okay, sorry. So I may have offended you or hurt you, and if I haven't, I might. But if that ever happens... I just had a, a, a revelation here. If that ever happens, I want you to say, you know what? Tracy's a pastor. He's a gift Jesus gave. He's a gift Jesus gave <laughs> to the church. Okay. Whew. Okay. <laughs> oh, my. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. So these fivefold ministers are supposed to equip God's people to do God's work. Some translations say the work of the ministry, works of service. They're to train and equip God's people to do his work. 
and build up the church, the body of Christ, and this will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, what? Mature. We'll be mature in the Lord. We'll measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Why? Because we know the truth. When you really know the truth, the counterfeit just doesn't fit. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. This is a vision for where are we going? Where are we going? We're remembering God's good. We're realizing I can't stay here, but where are we going? We're going towards maturity. We're going towards growing and love and good deeds and, and doing our part. So let's read on. It says, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. You are a part of the body. We saw that in, in Corinthians. Are you a Christian? If you love Jesus, then you're a part of the body. You're a part of the body. And you've got a special work to do. And it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. There's where we're heading, healthy and growing and full of love. But when a part doesn't do their part, it throws something off whack because God uses this illustration of a body. And so, you know, no wonder God's brilliant. It's a brilliant illustration, the body. Now, I struggled in this foot with something called plantar fasciitis. Don't know if you ever heard of it. Hope you haven't. Hope you never even know what it is. So, I did read some that's kind of discouraging. There's lots of things that can cause it, but the one I didn't like, it says, well, it happens when fat people try to exercise. And I said, wow, that's not very kind, you know. Excuse me. And by the way, I've never tried to exercise, so, um, so that foot hurt. Now, here's what happens. When something hurts in your body, you compensate for it. You got a bad knee here, you often end up with a bad hip over here because you're walking in a way. Well, I, I would walk in a way so that that area where the plantar fascia connects wouldn't hurt. Well, I went in, got a cortisone shot the other day, and uh, I'll tell you, that hurt. Um, and I've had a few of them, got shot in there. And I just want to report, praise God, hallelujah, that area right here where the plantar, plantar fascia hurt does not hurt anymore. Amen. Not praising God yet that my foot over here hurts really bad. And so it's like, okay, do I need a shot over there or what's going on? But what happened, because I was telling the, the uh, podiatrist, I said, I, I now heard on this, I said, yeah, that's because you've been walking funky, you know, to protect that, so you created a sore over there. I tell you, we all got a part to do. And if you don't do your part, you put undue stress on another part of the body. And so they end up in pain because you're not doing your part. So here's my kind word, slacker, start doing your part, okay? So, so I don't want to hurt, and neither does anybody else, because you're not doing your part. So you say, he's such a loving guy. So I just want you to pray and say, what would my part be? And sometimes you just start doing stuff, and you'll discover that's not it, and you'll try something else, that's not it. So be careful, you got a part. As each part does its own special, special work and helps the other parts grow. It doesn't help them get in pain, it helps them grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So where are we going? We're going for healthy, growing, and full of love. 
And that happens as the church as a whole, the believers do their part. Not just in this assembly, this place of worship, but in wherever, you're, wherever life takes you. So I believe everything needs to move us towards those goals. Being equipped in God, building the church, growing in unity, growing in faith, maturing, not being immature, being too sharp in the word to not be fooled by, by lies. We're doing our part, and we're healthy, we're growing, and we're full of love. So there it is. There's our goal. Now, here's, here's the things I want you to work on this week. Now, I really make sure that I work on these things, too. Because it's real easy for me to stand up here, y'all need to work on this stuff, and then next week, did you work on your stuff? And we go, what stuff? <laughs> oh, are we supposed to work on something? Yeah, we're supposed to work on something. So here's what you're supposed to work on. It doesn't have to take you 40 hours. Spend some time thinking about where you're going in these three areas. Number one, where are you going individually? And, and I, want to, I want you to focus first on your spiritual life because I think it's Proverbs that says that we need to guard our heart, which isn't the muscle in our chest that pumps blood. It's our spirit. We need to guard our heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. And Jesus said that, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He didn't say seek only. I know you've got other things to seek and do, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So prioritize that. And then where am I going individually? First, ask your question, where am I going spiritually? Where am I going in my relationship with Jesus? And if you're here today and you say, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus, well, this is your day. You're at the right place to start a relationship with Jesus. And then, of course, it can spill out the other things. Where am I going in my broader life? Where am I going in, in uh, my family? Where am I going in my, my workplace? My, it's nothing wrong to ask, where am I going with my hobbies? God gives us everything to enjoy. You may have hobbies, things you do. Okay, but always make sure everything's centering spiritually first. Where am I going in my broader area of life? And then where am I going as part of the body of Christ? And you can ask that question for here. Where am I growing? And you don't see us begging for a lot of stuff. And so I'm, I'm asking you to be bold and maybe say, hey, you know, uh, Tracy, I think I got a gift here that, that might help when the opportunity arises. We may not have a place for it right now, but you can say that. I'll jot that down. You can remind me later, too, and we can just keep saying, let's look for that opportunity. And one little thing, seriously, I know this. We all want to do what we can't do. You know, so be very, really watch your heart on that. You know, somebody who can't carry a tune wants to be worship leader. Did you ever notice that? You can't put two sentences, sentences together. And I'm not picking on you, but you're, just, you're not a good writer, but you want to have a best-selling novel. You know, you, you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to sing or worship or play or do what? But can you do it? And nothing wrong with developing the skill in that. But whatever it is, think about, do, do I have it? And another thing, too, God may lead you to do something you're not really skilled at right now, but you can get help. You can get help. Michael and I were talking the other night about um, books and writing. And people can help you write a book. I've, I'm not joking about this. Oh, every now and then somebody says, you got to write a book. And I really mean this. About what? And then I think, because any topic I'm interested in, I've read brilliant people who have written incredible books by it, and I don't know what I would add to their book. And I said I would have to get a ghostwriter because I'm one of the people that have proofread a one-paragraph email three times to make sure I got it, you know, pretty close to right. So find out what is it that, that maybe God's gifted me with that I can use for the body of Christ. So I want us to pray.